When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Sunday, December 10th, 2023, and this is Celtics Beat on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. Evan Valenti solo today. Coffin will be back soon. Episode 549 features The Athletic's Jared Weiss, and today's show is powered by FanDuel. Go to fanduel.com slash Boston. New customers receive $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. All right. Well, here we are. We're getting close to the end of 2023, 2024, right around the corner. The in-season tournament is in the books. We are done. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I think people eventually all came around. Uh, Jared, our guest for today, Jared Weiss from The Athletic. Jared, did you enjoy the in-season tournament? Yeah, I've been a lifelong in-season tournament fan. Um, I remember, like, as a kid, being so excited for the jerseys and the courts and the neutral site. I mean, this really fulfilled everything I've been hoping for since I was a wee boy. Yeah, and I and is, there's maybe a hint of sarcasm in there, but I actually, you know. I no, thought- it was great. I loved it. I loved it. It was a good time. I think it was fine. I think it's fine that games kind of mattered a little bit in November and December. I was trying to explain to someone the other day about that uh, that night where the Celtics had to win by 20-whatever against the Bulls, but then the Nets had to beat the Raptors, and then you had the Miami game later on with the Bucks that all kind of had to do with, like, seeding. That was a fun night of basketball on a Tuesday night in the middle of November. I just thought it was great. So uh, I, I think kudos to, to everybody. Obviously, I think there's some tweaks need to be made, but uh, – we here coming off the in-season tournament. We're going to resume the rest of the regular season. Evan Valenti here on Celtic Speed. No Kaufman here today. Uh, he'll be back next week, I think. We're going to talk about it. We have some news coming too, so stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jared, let's let's take a thirty thousand foot view. This is what the show kind of does. Team is sixteen and five, and they're eleven and one. Their starters in the floor when everybody's healthy. They just got Chris Epps, Porzingis back, uh, so now they have their normal starting five. At their disposal, White, Brown, Tatum, Holiday, Porzingis. Uh, and that 11-1 record is supported by some pretty decent data. Uh, it is the number one top uh, five-man unit in the league right now over, you know, some interesting some names. The, the Brooklyn Nets, Dinwiddie, Finney Smith, Bridges, Claxton, Cam Johnson, 101 minutes played. They're plus 13.6, and all these stats are for five-man lineups with 100 more minutes played. Uh, the Bucks, Lopez, Lillard, Giannis, Middleton, Beasley, 182 minutes, they're plus 17. We can go more into that. The Celtics starting five, now that everybody's back. Holiday, White, Brown, Tatum, Porzingis, 202 minutes played, the most of pretty much any five-man unit that's really, really good. And their offensive rating, 125.6, defensively, 98.1. Their net rating per hundred possessions, plus 27.5. That's number one in the league. And for me, Jared, defensively is what stands out. I mean, this team basically is the Bucks on offense. And if you look at the advanced data, the Orlando Magic, who have been really, really fun to start the year, 
They have basically their defense. This is a, a I think a little bit of a different team versus the, you know, the past Celtics defensive teams, but they've been really, really shot solid on that end, especially with their starting five. Uh, and I feel like as the year keeps going, they're just going to keep getting better and better. What about this particular five man lineup jumps out to you? What's the first thing that kind of pops in your head in terms of how this unit is generated? <laughs> that it's very good. Um, probably that Derek White's been a, a bigger part of it than. Probably even more than I expected. It's certainly more than most people expected. He's just been, I think, not just good at organizing the offense, which is the main role for a point guard in this system, where I guess with this layer of talent or layout of talent, but his finishing has been better than I think ever in the NBA. Just like his his consistency, his ability to know when to go for his floater game, when he can actually get to the rim and get something off that getting blocked. He's just been so much better having a feel for when he needs to be a scorer. And then his quick spot-up shooting, his pick-and-roll shooting, his shot selection has been really good. His efficiency has been very good. He just came off his best scoring game of of the season. Like, V. White has been a complete offensive player this year. And I just, obviously, I don't think anybody really expected that he would be – like, he already was really good last year. But I think this year, not only are the stats better, but you can just see when you watch him out there, he knows when to go for his more. And it's less him reacting to openings and more him knowing when the play call works for him or just when the defensive cross matches and focal points are in his favor. And he's just been so good at hitting that. Yeah, I was going to save the D-White conversation for later in, in the podcast, but maybe we'll, we'll bump it up a little bit. Oh, we could table it. We could table but, it. No, but it's interesting because, like, to piggyback off what you just said, I, I have been doing some driving this weekend. I went out to Boston to visit a buddy of mine and came back, and on my docket of listening, I had the Chris Tapps Porzingis Old Man of the Three episode with J.J. Redick. Now, one of the things that Porzingis talked about, because J.J. Redick is a monster Derek White fan. He's like, I'm a huge <laughs> fan. I was I went on a rant. When the ratings came out and he wasn't a top 100 player, I went nuts. It's ridiculous. I mean, that, that was a joke. Like Nobody yeah. took that seriously. And for the record, the athletic Seth Partnow, who does our player rankings, had him as a top 55 player. So that's, I think, a much more accurate yeah. Yeah. distinction. Well, the athletic's better than ESPN. That's what's, I've been saying this for years. Uh, no, no comment. No comment. <laughs> Dif- different product, I'll say. Different product. No, no question. But – he was talking there, you know, they were, they were both you know, gushing about, about Derek White and um, JJ at one point was like, Hey, what's it like having him on your team? It must be just awesome. Uh, and, and Porzingis says, you know, we had this meeting with Joe the other day and it was a team building sort of thing. So we had to go around the room. This seems a little childish. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not, but we had to go around the room and say one thing we liked about the guy and one thing we didn't like about the guy. And, <laughs> He goes, the, we got to Derek, and I said, Derek, the, like, the one thing I love about you is that you always make the right play, and then when you don't, I get super frustrated that you just didn't – you aren't the most perfect player of all time because he just seems to understand what the game needs at that given time all the time. Um, and it's a myriad of things. It's it's navigating screens. It's the chase down blocks. It's the head-to-head pass. It's the, you know, drive and kick to the outside shooter. It's, it's a whole bunch of, like, moving without the basketball. Everything that Derek White does – is remarkable, and I and I said it after the game of the night where he had thirty points I, against the Knicks. I said, you know, I think it's wavering, and I think that's okay. But I think for the majority of the time, I, I almost feel like Derek White is the team's like second best player or second most important player, right? Like Tatum, obviously, with the amount that he commands on offense and defense, like I understand he's the most important player on the team, quote unquote. But what Derek does 
and what he's able to produce as the plus minus God of the NBA obviously is something that can't go unnoticed. And like, as, as much as we talk about the different levels of guys up and down, up and down, Derek White just seems to stay level and smooth and calm and collected throughout the entire season. And I think it's because of his, you know, his, his, the fact that he's able to replicate this effort every single night is what makes him so important. Now the pecking order as you know, you know, uh, Derek White's dad might have chimed at me about, um, might not matter. My point is Derek is just wonderful and awesome. And I'm so happy he's on the Celtics because he's literally one of the best players in the league. And he's just so much fun to watch. Yeah. I remember when D White got, when the, when the Celtics first traded for him, someone told me that the Celtics had his, like the way that they rank players around the league with their own proprietary stats and all that. They had him as like a top 40 player. I want to say in the NBA, or that at least like his, his metrics impact was like top 40, maybe even like top 30. And obviously that you can't put D white into the same role as Jason Tatum and expect him to perform at the same level. So it's like D white performs with great efficiency because of the role and responsibility that he has. But I mean, you just, just look at his shooting. Like his EFG is up 10 percentage points since his first season in Boston. Uh, right now, I think for effective field goal percentage among guards, he's pretty high up there, at least for like high usage guys. He's right behind Steph Curry. He's like really close to Steph Curry, which is pretty crazy. Steph's volume and, and degree of difficulty is, is a lot harder. So, you know, uh, like I think Grayson Allen is ahead of Steph Curry right now. And I don't think Grayson's <laughs> quite as good as Steph. Um, but uh, D White for like starting guards in the NBA has been, pretty high up there for efficiency, like really, really high up there for scoring efficiency. He's been good for playmaking efficiency. His turnover rates relatively low. Um, like he's, he's been everything that they want out of, a, out of a guard that his job is to support for all-stars because, you know, it's funny, uh, bef- early in the season or before season, I forget exactly when I was asking Joe about Drew Holiday being this new point guard they're bringing in. And he, he kind of corrected me. He's like, well, Drew's more of a combo guard. D White's really more of our point guard. And the way we've seen the season play out, that really has been the case so far. And I don't know if that's going to change the more that Drew gets more acclimated to the team, because there is still a lot of work for Drew to get acclimated to the team. But D. White's been generally the one bringing it down when the main units are out there. He's the one initiating that initial pick and roll. Uh, Drew is kind of more of a reactive playmaker, I would say. Like when the play calls for it, he steps in and, and does the playmaking. But it definitely seems like D. White's taking on the brunt of the role. And it, frankly, it makes sense because D white's been performing much better offensively. Yeah. It's so funny that if you go back to the summer, all, all the time that was wasted and spent about how the Celtics don't have a point guard in their team because they traded Marcus Smart away. And I was one of the guys who's like, guys, uh, Derek white, I think can do this. He's one of the few guys that I, I believe can make a legitimate entry pass before drew got here. I was like, I, he's a little, he's gotta be the only guy on the team that like, and maybe Tatum, it now does, but like when the before the season, like I only trust one guy to make an entry pass in this team, and that's Derek White because he's I've seen him do it, and he's been again, he's just he's he's perfect. He's he he is exactly what this best Boston Celtics team needs. Um, and like you look around the league, and every backcourt, it's just most of them don't compare to the talent this team has because Derek White is playing basically like a fifth. I mean, I'm not trying to say that this whole team has all stars. But I'm, Derek's efficiency this month in particular is unbelievable. His shooting splits are uh, I think they're 52% from the field, 48% from three, and 100% from the free throw line. Like, he's just been awesome. 
And with that, you know, uh, comes excellent team play, right? And that's the other thing about uh, Derek White when they when they acquired him. It felt like more like a you get the label of he's a connector, right? He's he's not necessarily the guy that's going to take over, but he's a, a good connecting piece to make everything flow better. And I don't know, he's just been kind of perfect on both ends. But I I found it interesting because I was doing a little bit of research about the Celtics offense, and you know, I think shot distribution. It's been a, a hot button topic, right? Like, you know, who's taking these shots, these shots, those shots, in various points of the game. And it's been a little up and down, I think, for everybody. And, and the one thing I've noticed this month is a lot of shots have gone towards Derek White. Now, part of that is probably because Porzingis has been hurt and somebody had to step up and shoot more. But it also, like, looks fine. Like, it doesn't look awkward that Derek White's shooting a little bit more than he's ever having this. I think he's what, 14 shot attempts per game in the month of December, which is pretty high for Derek White on the Celtics team. But yet, Jared, it it feels fine. It feels natural. It does. By the way, I, I was just looking through NBA stats. Um, for guards that have at least a 1,000 possessions and this log so far this year and have a usage rate above 15, it's Tyrese Halliburton, Steph Curry, and then Derek White for effective field goal percentage leaders. Good company. So, Good company. Pretty, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Now, they're obviously, make an all NBA team and Derek White. There you are. So guys are going to make an all NBA team. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say that d- distinguishing who's like the outsider of like there's a top four, four stars, blah, 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 that stuff. I feel like the way D White's been playing this year, I don't think he should be separated from that tier. Like there's a Jays tier and then there's the other three guys tier. And then there's Horford who, I don't know if Horford was starting, maybe he would be performing at that level, but he hasn't been at that level. I think we have a clear top five understanding for the team in a six man. And D White, he's, he's been that good. Uh, his, I, I think what's been good about him is I think his defensive focus has been pretty close to where it usually is, even with his offensive load increasing. His decision making, his like how rapid he is making decisions. Like his big thing was he's a great swing passer. He's a great closeout attack reader. He's one of the best in the league at those things. The kind of things you need from your off ball guy. And when he first got here, he also would have some big shooting nights. But now that he's so consistent, it's like he's a, he's a high level impact starter right now. He's clearly a top 50 player in the NBA right now. No question. And, and again, uh, I was one of the, Guys, I guess, pounding the table for the more Derek White minutes is going to be good for business. Like, again, if you looked at his numbers last year, his on-off splits, I think he was almost like plus 12 on-off. Like, the team is 12 points better with him on the court than him off the court. Which Not is, bad. Again, just a stupid number. Just an insane I mean, his, his net rating is 15. I think that's probably, like, right towards the top of the NBA. It's pretty yeah, ridiculous. He, it's way up there. And, again, just the numbers bear it out. The guy is a winning player. Um, and has made a huge impact in this team, and is a, a big reason why this starting five is just so dynamic and so and, and just and just runs teams over. But I I love the fact again that defensive number I think is so big because I think I, look a lot of people love offense. The one thing I didn't like about last year, especially in that twenty one and five start to start the year, the one thing I didn't like last year was yeah this team shoots the lights out, but like they all they just like just they feel. Like almost like they don't care like care about defense because like oh we'll just we'll just shoot our way back into this game like it doesn't matter like you know they'll, we'll let everybody score but we're so good at shooting threes that we're just gonna we'll bring the game right back it just seemed like it seemed almost like too casual about the defensive side of the ball this team seems to care a little bit more and I think everybody with a brain is like okay like this team conceptually has the opportunity to be a very high powered offense if everything is going extremely well We've seen that so far this year 
They put up 155 points on the Pacers, yes, without Tyrese Halliburton, but they still put up 155 points with them to sneeze at. But it's not going to yeah. always go that well. Defensively, you can always sort of give effort and 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 communicate. And even if you have a bad offensive night, your defense can keep you in it. And, you know, White's a big part of that. Jason Tam's a big part of that. Chris Stapps-Porzingis is a big part of that. Like, they just have a really good roster of defenders – including like like Sam Hauser comes off the bench and it's like totally fine. So to me, the defensive numbers, you know, the starting five and then, you know, and they flip other guys in there. That's what I'm tracking the rest of the way because I don't, I, I just see these, these, these late game, you know, situations where Boston's offense continues to do its thing. But as long as they hold up on the other end of the court, it might not really matter that much. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you have to be a defense first team even though I think maybe we're a little bit past the point of defense wins championships. I think maybe with just the way the rules have been evolving over the last few years, offense is probably going to win you championships most of the time in, at this point. But, like, you need to be able to lock it defensively in, in big moments. And I, I think you're getting at something important with last year's defense about the lack of was it focus or intensity or just maybe it's the lack of valuing the importance of defensive impact because – I think one thing that that Joe Missoula struggled to get the team to either buy in or understand is he he envisions basketball kind of similar to soccer where it's even though there is offense and defense it's a flow game and it's really a state of it's a state of duality where like your defense feeds your offense that and so forth especially now that every team is playing at high pace you're spending so much time in transition that differentiating the two isn't as significant as it used to be. And so because the Celtics were so fixated on running off of makes and just pushing tempo offensively, it really felt like there were a lot of plays last year defensively where when they felt like the team, uh, when they felt like the offense had the leverage in the possession, they kind of just let it go thinking, let's just get ready to go push and transition on the other end. And that's just obviously like not a way to play basketball. Like you have to, you have to play basketball with the thought of we are going to get the stop every single time and then we're going to push anyway. Or we'd rather play off of a miss and go, you know, and, and go in a half court than not at all. And I think they were so focused on their, transi- their, their transition play that they kind of lost value of half court on both ends of the court. And that came back to bite them in the postseason. And so this year's team, I mean, they've been pretty solid in transition, especially transition defense has been pretty solid this year. But their half-court game is better, I think, on both ends, just because now with Porzingis, it's like they have a coverage beater every single time. No matter what the offense or the defense throws at them, they have an alternative that they can get to with Porzingis out there. And so they're still they're still figuring out how do we play consistently when we're not just running through Porzingis, essentially. Um, and especially like when Jalen Brown is out there with the second unit and Brown's playmaking style is different than Jalen's, like how do you how do you keep the offense going when Jalen's making pretty good passes to guys that are just breaking shots over and over again? So there's still I think some holes in the big picture of how this all works, but I think their understanding of their identity has gotten so much better. You're seeing that on the defensive end this year. Yeah, I love it. I'm I'm a again I everybody loves good offense, but if you can't stop anybody, I, I don't like that's why I don't totally love the Pacers. Again, I think they're fun to watch and it's like mesmerizing, but I don't know if I can totally buy into them just because of the defensive end. But let's take a quick break and tell you today's show is powered by FanDuel, America's number one sports book. It is, well, the middle of football season. It is the beginning of basketball season. So you can pick either sport. 
FanDuel's involved with both of them. And right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if the team that you pick wins. And I'm just going to go to FanDuel real quick for everybody. I don't know if anybody's been paying attention. I know Jared has because this is his job to pay attention. Definitely not. Detroit Pistons are awful. They are uh, awful. Definitely. Terrible. Dreadful. It's really tough. Now, I understand the Pacers are coming off the in-season tournament, but they're playing the Pistons Monday night. I think the Pacers are going to win that game. As long as everybody is healthy for the game, I think the Pacers are going to win. So there's your five-line money line bet. The Pacers beat the Pistons, which everybody's been doing this year. And you get 150 bucks in bonus bets. It's really that simple. And you've been thinking about joining FanDuel. There's no better time than right now to get on the action. The app that I talk about all the time, super easy to use. And I use it when I walk my dog because I totally forget to put my bets in most of the time. You can bet on spreads, player props, over-unders, everything. Basically everything. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off the NFL season. Tip off the NBA season with FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is knowledgeable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Hope is here. Gambling helpline ma.org. Call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com. Call 800 gam one two. Three, four. Evan Valenti, no Adam Kaufman. Jared Weiss is here from the Athletic, going over the Celtics. Sixteen and five to start the year. Eleven and one with their starters intact. Derek White rules so far. That's what we've gone over. Another thing that's been really interesting, especially with the upcoming schedule. Celtics so far ten and zero at home this year. Have not lost a home game since March of last year against the Knicks. Went to double OT, and that was actually off the back of another loss. So it's not like, you know, they lost two games in a row, which is kind of tough. But then that was the regular season. The postseason, as we all know, was a different animal. They lost multiple games to the Philadelphia 76ers at home. They lost multiple games to the Miami Heat in their own court. So, Jared, what do we do with this? What do we do with this 10-0 and start? Is it something that we, hey, this is great, fantastic. Uh, they're they're taking things seriously on their home floor. Their their average margin of victory is I think eleven points per hundred possessions. I think at home. Don't quote me on that. I have to look that up. I have it somewhere. Um, they're ten and zero at home, but yet last year this team was a disaster at home. So what do we make of this so far? Absolutely nothing. Um, I, I, I just <laughs> I think that last year's team was just inconsistent and it was location agnostic. It was. But I don't think it was really tied into the where they were playing. I, I just I, you know, like it was really just more tied into game planning and teams. I don't think there was an issue of they can't get their effort level and their focus level up on the road versus home. Um, maybe there was a little bit of you know, usually like usually the guys that benefit from being at home are the role players who don't get many shots and they need a little bit of that oomph behind them when they get in the game. That kind of thing. They need, they don't want to feel the pressure of like the crowd coming down on them if they blow their one chance. So that, I feel like that tends to be where you see the benefit of it. And so this year, like I'm just going through the schedule now, just seeing any trends and who they're playing. I mean, tight win against Milwaukee and then a bunch of other teams that aren't that like intimidating. Uh, you know, like they beat 
the Knicks a few times, and that, those were solid wins. They got the Nets before the Nets started to really hit their stride recently. When they got the Raptors, the Raptors were playing pretty well, then they just had like by far the worst game of the year. So I think it might just be the quality of opponent, honestly. Um, and you got to remember those, that first win against the Knicks, um, uh, I mean, the first win against Miami, yeah. like they played pretty mediocre. Miami played pretty well and they just, they had some, you know, they had a few plays go their way. But then, yeah, looking at the rest of these wins, it's like the Sixers one, that was a good one. They started the game terribly, that Miami game. They were off to the mm. start. And I was like, this just seems just perfect right here. This is great. Yeah. But then, like, the Sixers game, that Maxi was out for that one, right? Um, yeah, and, Max, like, and the, we were both out for that game, I think. Oh, that's right. And Embiid, yeah. So that was – and the Celtics had some guys out. But, like, they had a clear upper hand on that one. This last Knicks game, you know, they destroyed them early on and kind of let them back in. And they, that was a good win. Like, that was a good win. But so the they Knicks haven't had a – tough. Like, that, that, that's a that's not yeah. my favorite matchup. They just play the Celtics tough every time they play. And Mitchell Robinson's a pain in the ass the entire game. It's just – is what it is. Yeah, the Knicks are a tough matchup for the Celtics because the Knicks are – like they like to beat teams up, right? They're super physical, and then they catch major fire shooting the ball at random points uh, during the game, and they can really sneak up on teams. And so, I thought the Knicks played a pretty solid game, and the Celtics. It really was that KP JT pick and roll dynamic that was huge, and then obviously D White was great later on. Um, and so, like the Knicks have been good, but you know this slate up ahead, we have Cleveland twice and Orlando twice, and those are both really good defensive teams. It'll be really interesting to see how, like, really how the Jays fare going up against a team that's going to try to get under their skin defensively, and then like seeing how KP does against two teams that can out physical him. Yeah, the the Orlando games are circled for sure, considering how much they've owned the Celtics the past two years. They, yeah. I, 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 I've been trying to explain to people. I'm like, I know this seems crazy, but I'm going to tell you guys right now, Orlando's good. They're going to be really good. Like, they're just they are a pain in the ass to, to play because they're so. They're so long. Like, they're physical. They're long. Everybody on that team feels like a giant. And, like, you know, if you're if you're a, a small anywhere, and Boston's not really that small anywhere with the outside, like, outside of Pritchard. Like, there's, there's not, like, I mean, White's a taller guy. You know, a Holiday plays way above his position. So it's not like they have small dudes. But, like, th- this this Orlando team is ginormous, and it's it's a real problem. Um, it is, And I'm, I'm super pumped for Orlando fans, A, and I'm really excited – those games coming up later, but, uh, you know, and the magic are missing like half their rotation too. Yeah. So, you know, well, again, it's just like one of these things where, you know, what can we really take away from uh, some of these home wins? Like, again, just stack up, like stack up wins. That's great. You know, you know, protect your own floor as much as possible. What do we take away from it? Nothing. It's just like, we, we don't know. So so this is what's interesting. 16 and five, 11 and one, 10 and oh, all these great numbers. Yet we still have questions about this team. Like it's, it's still like, like I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day, like I still have rebounding questions about this team. Uh, will they rebound when it matters? Uh, will their offense, you know, be stagnant as it's been in the past? Will they actually move the basketball because they're devastating when they move the basketball? Like we still have the same questions. And the most annoying part of this, Jared, is are, are we going to have an answer to any of these questions before the playoffs? Probably not. It's just going to be like, well, we'll see what happens when we get there and we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure I'm sure there will be a few you know, huge marquee games in the season that go down to the wire as this goes on that will, you know, build some of that up. Uh, when they face Denver, they got the Warriors coming up soon. Like they're going to have more marquee matchups that'll, you know, give, uh, that'll, that'll give fans, I think, more of a temperature check on where things are. Also, then they have the Clippers and Lakers, uh, you know, next, uh, right around Christmas too. And the Clippers have been defending well lately. So they're going to see more teams that I think know how to get under their skin. Um, so they'll get, they'll get a better test. Really, I think rebounding, you're making a good point there. 
Late game rebounding has been tough for them at times. I think a big part of that is that they play relatively small. Like Tatum has been a really good rebounder uh, this year, but he tends to miss box outs on the defensive glass later in games. It happens with him. Jalen, same thing. You go back and you look at a lot of the playoff series. Sometimes it came down to like those guys missed a couple blockouts in the fourth quarter and teams were able to get second chance points. So I don't know if they're gonna, <laughs> if they're going to be able to get over that. I don't know if that's something that's ever really going to improve. Tatum clearly has put a you know premium on getting rebounds. He seems to want to get the double digit rebounds this year. So it, it also he's been so good at when he gets rebounds, he then gets it right into early offense. So I think that maybe we'll see that get a little bit better this year. And then Porzingis is such a weird rebounder because like he obviously is not great with blockouts, but he's so tall that with the way the Celtics have their guards crash, I feel like they will eventually figure out a way to use him to tip the ball to the guards more and have him as like a rebounding assister kind of thing. So maybe they'll get a feel for how that works. But I mean, overall, their numbers in transition off of rebounding has been pretty solid so far. So it doesn't seem like it's a major concern. I'm going to wrap up with two questions. And the first question is a relatively simple one. How do we have a normal conversation about Jalen Brown? Because it's not happening in any place on the internet at all. And it's, to me, one of the most annoying things about this season is we just can't have a normal conversation about this guy. Like if he has a great night, everybody that loves Jalen Brown is like shoving in everybody's face that he had a great night. And then when he has an off night, everybody that's, it's just every night there's some, he's a lightning rod. And it's just, it just, it's, it's like, I'm honestly like, I don't even feel like talking about it because I feel like we can't just have a normal conversation about the development of this guy. Who's yes, making all this money because of the way the salary cap worked. Like it's not, just happen to time it this way. So I, all of it I find exhausting. How do we have normal conversation about this guy? Well, you tell me, because I'm not paying attention to the day-to-day conversation as much on like kind of like on social media and stuff like that. I don't listen to the radio shows, so I don't know what ridiculous takes are out there like that. But what what's what is the equilibrium? What's the middle ground consensus on like, Jalen? Or is it too polarized? It's like no, it's it's super polarizing. It's like mm-hmm. we we can't accept the fact that Jalen Brown might be getting slightly better as a facilitator, but at the same time still makes he mistakes. He and does. And we're still trying to figure – he's still trying to find his way. Like that's – to me what's – like it's a really easy stance. It's like he's getting better at it. I'm watching it happen in real time. He still makes the same stupid, dumb plays sometimes. He's learning how to attack advantages a little bit better, but then there are times when he dribbles into three dudes. Like it's it's it's, you know – one step forward, one step back. And it's and it's him, you know, learning how to gel with this new group of guys. But if he does anything great, I mean, you hear a lot of praise, which is fine. And then if he does anything bad, you hear a lot of just – again, nobody can have the straight just like, yep, he's been really good in certain situations. He's been still, you know, missing in other situations. And, you know, he's gotten better in certain areas and he still needs to develop, but he's not done yet. But I feel like every game is a new Jalen did this or Jalen did that. And I'm just, I can't, I can't immerse myself in it because it's just too annoying. So uh, the hard part about appreciating Jalen, I think Jalen's impact on the game is less apparent than Tatum's at times because Jalen is more about controlling pace and tempo and JT's more about slowing things down and making reasoned decisions. And so, Sometimes Jalen just drives the pace with his energy level and his fast break commitment 
And that creates more opportunities for everybody else, even though he wasn't directly involved with the play. It kind of sets the tone and it gets guys more engaged defensively to try to get leakouts for him. So I, I think that people are probably missing a lot of that. This year, his playmaking has been better. His hockey assists are improving. He is making better reads throughout the game. He's showing that he can run second unit pretty decently. Like I mentioned it before, a lot of these games, I'm trying to really focus on how does the second unit look with him out there and JT's on the bench. And it's usually, I feel like him and Drew a lot of the time with like Pritchard, Hauser, Cornette, stuff like that. And those lineups, he makes a lot of good kickouts, a lot of good reads, and they just brick the shots. Like he's creating, I think he's been doing actually pretty fine for the most part. Um, I actually wrote a story, I think it was probably three weeks ago, but it felt like three months ago. Um, I think it was after the Charlotte game, I want to say, where he was playmaking really well for most of the game. And then in crunch time, it really fell apart. That that was the one where he tried to posterize, I want to say, Mark Williams, and the, and the dunk got blocked, and it fell to KP's hands, and KP got the layup. And people looked at that as like a great KP play, but that was a terrible Jalen Brown play because Jalen missed KP completely wide open under the rim. There was a corner shooter. It was like the easiest passing decision ever. And he still went for the poster. It was a really bad play. Like that's not the right play. You've got to make the right play if you're going to be a superstar that's worth the supermax. And credit to Jason Tatum, he is getting to elite at that. Like JT is actually, even though he's probably falling down the MVP pecking order just because of other MVP caliber players and that like have uh, worse teams around them. JT has taken another clear step forward this year as a playmaker. He's been great with Jalen. I think what happens is when you get to late in the game and he feels like he needs to step up, he does, I think two things that, that hurt the team and it's either going to work out great or it's not going to work out. One, he knows that he's one of the best difficult shot makers in the NBA. Like he's better at it than JT better at than almost anybody else. He can hit crazy shots from everywhere on the floor. He can hang in the air until the defender falls and then get the shot off. He's a really, really, really skilled finisher and physical finisher. And so he will sometimes try to make like those kind of plays and he will get tunnel vision from that. Then the other thing he does is his dribbling style. He's, he's got a lot of like complicated dribble moves that are really impressive, but he tends to dribble like he tends to go to the more complicated stuff when he's under pressure to try to work his way out of it rather than playing more cautious, rather than shielding the ball more effectively, bouncing out to uh, more space so he can attack with more momentum. Um, he, he tends to drive with his, you know, with his like chest straight forward, which kind of exposes the ball a little bit more. He'll tend to like, when the, when the defense is all over him, he'll try to get low and do a double through the legs. It's like, just, just get out of there and then pass the ball off. He tries to solve things that are too hard to solve and it leads to mistakes. And so, I know that's part of the mindset that makes him so good. You know, we, we talk about this with Marcus Smart all the time. Like Marcus would do a bunch of really dumb, crazy stuff, but like he also was constantly trying to do brilliant stuff. And so a lot of the time he did stuff that nobody else in the game can do. And that's what Jalen, I think, is doing. He's getting better now at recognizing that he doesn't have to do that, especially because they got other guys that can do crazy stuff. Like KP is one of the best pick and pop guys in the game. Drew, whenever you give him the ball, he's able to just kind of drive through everybody and get a tough lefty hook off. Like they have other guys that he can count on. And so I think he's getting more perspective now on how to manage the game. It's just, it's still a work in progress in that regard. And one of the issues with this team, I don't know if this is, this is something that can improve is just both Brown and Tatum as they really assumed the offense over the last couple of years, their pull-up shooting numbers have just gone down. Their three-point shooting numbers have gone down. They're now below average, high volume shooters. So both of those guys are like 
pretty, pretty high level shooters a couple years ago. So, you know, if they could get a couple more threes a game, I mean, a couple more threes a game, it's six more points a game. It's a lot. But like, if they could just get to maybe 37 ish percent, I think that's when this team is like unimpeachably unstoppable. Yeah. And that's the last question I wanted to, I want to kind of end on is Tatum. Tatum's shooting numbers are, are way down, you know, by the month. He's taking less shots, but, and, and turnovers are, are kind of up there. They, I almost feel like Tatum sometimes is like trying to do a little too much to see what he can get away with and what he can't get away with. Like, I feel like as a playmaker, he's still kind of learning a little bit. Like, he had a really slick pass to actually both of them were to Horford, I believe. One was a beautiful, like, behind someone's back as Horford had two feet, like, in the cup and just had a dunk. It was really easy. And then he had a ridiculous cross court pass to Horford, I believe, in the right corner. Um, I think I remember those, yeah. Yeah, against the game, again, uh, they were going they were right in front of the Celtics bench. And I was like, man, those are just really high level. I mean, when when he makes the pass, you're like, geez, that was something. Like, that's – he doesn't make that play last year, two years ago. Just, just wasn't there. So, I'm I'm, I'm looking at – because Tatum has just hasn't been shooting the ball that well. And I'm trying to be – I'm trying to analyze a little bit. Like, is it – is it something because he's trying to assume more of the creator role in the offense and so the, the shooting is dipping a little bit? Is it just, you know, how basketball works? Because you just obviously have ups and downs throughout the whole season. Is there something that we need to be concerned about injury-wise with him? It's just on my radar, right? I'm not overreacting to anything because he's just been a tremendous facilitator so far this year, with the rare exceptions. Do you feel like he's taking on too much? Do you feel like he's just feeling himself out? Um, Where where are we at with the Tatum development process? Because I think he's been arguably – Again, with the exception of the shooting, better than he's ever been this year. I think so. First off, points per game is down from I want to say thirty-one ish to twenty-eight, about, and that's what you would expect because they got Kristaps Sporzingas, they got Drew Holiday, so I don't see any issue with that. Also, D. White's been great, so he his volume has gone down. His focus is more on creating and running offense. He plays point even more than last year. And he's been so good at recognizing coverages. It only takes him usually one play to recognize a coverage. In fact, sometimes the first time that the defense switches his coverage, he's actually able to beat it right away. He's been, I think he's just, he's been great. He is, he's not quite Kevin Durant. Like KD is, is he having one of the best years of his career? It's hard. That's a pretty high bar, but like KD has been incredible. I honestly think he might be the MVP right now. Uh, Durant is putting up, elite numbers with a Phoenix team that's, com- that's been completely beat up this year. And he's shooting 50% from three, which goes to show that Jason Tatum certainly could be shooting better from three because Kevin Durant is shooting 50% from three and his workload has been even higher than JT's. So I think with Tatum, one, his pick and roll pull up over the screen has not been as good this year. It wasn't as good last year. He just hasn't been as consistent with it. He, because he's such a willing playmaker, he has his heat check moments. Um, and I don't think he's getting as many open spot up threes this year. I feel like I don't see that very often last year. Ironically, I feel like last year he got a lot of wide open uncontested spot up threes. And I don't think he even shot that well on those. Uh, it's funny how guys, when, when the shots are completely uncontested, I feel like they shoot worse than when it's lightly contested because they shoot in rhythm when it's lightly contested. So. I feel like those are the places where we've seen his shooting decline over the last couple of years. I think that a high, a guy ascending from promising young scorer to the focal point creator for an offense, you're just going to have the shooting numbers go down because you're focused on so many other things in the game. And a lot of the time you're not taking the shots when you want to, you're taking the shots when you have to. And I think Tatum has been pretty good about that. 
Um, and then the other thing is Tatum is playing more for the pass and the foul now. I really do feel like he generally is playing for the right read rather than for the points. And we've seen that, you know, a good example of that was he drove the lane and I think it was in that Knicks game and he drove into a triple team so he could get the defense to collapse off of Jalen, who was on the elbow right near him. And he was able to just kind of like turn sideways and just fly through everybody to make sure that he got fouled. And normally I would have expected JT to try to take the shot when it's happening to hope that he can get to the free throw line or get an and one. But he actually was trying to pass the ball to Jalen. They like completely wrapped him up. He couldn't even get the ball out of his hands. But just seeing the way he's thinking now that he's really thinking about making the right read to almost to the point that if you're getting fouled, you might as well shoot the ball, right? So you can make it a shooting foul. And instead he was still thinking about passing it to Jalen. So I think that his head is in the I mean, if you look at where he was four years ago, it's it's just like it's incredible the way that he perceives the game and the way he values his role on offense has evolved, or really on both ends has evolved. Tatum is turning into the dream player uh right now for a franchise. Like this is what every franchise dreams of is can they take a score, make him more efficient in his shot distribution, and then turn him into a playmaker who can also score at a high level. And Tatum's doing it. Like this is, this is like the dream scenario for Boston and they can, they can build around him for the rest of his career at this point because he's proven already that he's a high end playmaker that will probably get better. Yeah. And it's just, again, all these high end games that him and Braun have played over their, their career so far, playing all these playoff games, you know, his first rookie year playing against LeBron in a game seven, um, you know, going to the NBA finals, you know, losing in that fashion, losing the Eastern Conference finals a couple of times in Miami. Like he's, all these high-end games are all good things. And the more he gets, the, the better he gets. And he's just been, like, again, as you say, like it, hard to find a guy you'd rather have over him on both ends of the floor. And I know people want to do the Booker thing. And Booker's, yeah, maybe a, a more offensively talented player than Tatum. Certainly a better shooter. Uh, I would argue, argue that he's a better scorer than Tatum is. But Tatum's defensive prowess is unbelievable. The rebounding this year is unreal. Again, you mentioned earlier, the fact that he's just so willing to try and clear the glass so he can start the next offensive set is in, tremendous. And they're always out and running. I love that stuff. So, again, the shooting numbers are down. That's okay. Everybody relax. He'll be fine. Again, it's more about, again, his continued ascension as a playmaker and, and as a ball mover. And, that's just, and again, if, if he's going to continue to do that, he's going to be really hard to guard because he already is already. Jared Weiss of The Athletic. You can find all his work there at Jared Weiss NBA on Twitter. I want to thank Jared. Thanks, buddy, for joining me here today. Make sure you guys go to FanDuel.com backslash Boston. $5 money line bet gets you 150 bucks in bonus bets with a win. And like I said, Pacers, Pistons, Monday night. Don't think, just bet the money line with the Pacers. I promise it'll be great. Make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube, on iTunes, on Spotify. We are everywhere. I promise. And, of course, Adam We'll be back with us shortly, I am sure. For Adam, for Jared, I'm Evan. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you soon.